The cookie-less future is approaching. With the deprecation of cookies, the industry is shifting to cookie-less. But what does that mean? Welcome to The Power of Digital Policy, a show that helps digital marketers, online communications directors, and others throughout the organization balance out risks and opportunities created by using digital channels. Here's your host, Christina Podner. If you're one of the many marketers around the globe struggling to balance the increasing privacy laws and engaging consumers, today's conversation is for you. With us today to shed light on all things we need to think about in a privacy-first marketing world are Dan Axe, president of Undertone, a Perion company, and Kim Leone, who's the VP of Emerging Business, Marketing, and Strategic Services, also at Undertone. Welcome, Dan and Kim. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here, and thank you so much for the opportunity to contribute. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I'm so excited, actually, because... I know the two of you, as well as Perion, specialize in delivering solutions across three main pillars, which are of key interest to everybody listening today. We're talking about ad search, social media and display, video, CTV advertising, and also cookie-less advertising. Why don't you kick us off first by ensuring that we're all talking in the same terminology here. What is cookie-less advertising? So by our definition, as you know, there's been a great talk about the surveillance economy. So Shoshana Zuboff from Harvard Business School has written quite extensively about that. And the notion is that advertisers essentially are creating a system where they like to reduce people to a historical data set. And through the use of little software programs called cookies, it tracks what people do through a browser, and it makes the fundamental assumption that you are a historical data set. So if you've purchased a pair of underwear three weeks ago, then you must be in the market for socks or something like that. And this is creepy to people because you you don't feel comfortable when it's like someone's following you around the place. You don't know where your data, what people are doing with your data, it's being sold. There's hacks that happen all the time. So people find out more about you. So there's an overall view to move away from this notion of tracking people via some sort of cookie or some sort of software program to eliminate the ability for companies to track you and reduce you to a data set. So Kim, I'm curious from your perspective to hear about this, because I think about what Dan just said in terms of tracking me around, sometimes it can be really creepy, right? Like I went to Saudi Arabia in February, I was looking for some outfits. Here I am, I'm still being tracked when I'm not going to be making any trips anytime soon to Saudi Arabia, I'm not going to be buying those clothes. But I also think it's really helpful sometimes if you can target me in the right way to tell me things I do want to know. How do we balance out this notion with consumers? Because it's not always bad, right? Targeting isn't bad. It's the fact that, like Dan mentioned, it is creepy sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually what we wanted to do when we looked at a cookie solution. That was one of the main boxes that we needed to check. Ads still need to be relevant. Without relevancy and without the proper way to target, then those ads mean nothing. So a big part of our solution is about the real-timeness of it when someone wants to see something, how they're feeling in that actual moment, is that an ad they want to see? And our whole technology is built around that, about that relevancy. So Dan, what does that look like? I'm kind of trying to imagine this zero party data because we've been talking third party data for so long. Then we started talking first party data. Now we're at zero party. Do we go into negative numbers? 
Yeah, that's very funny. <laughs> so let's talk here about the third party data, because that's going to go away. And obviously, there's lots of concern about being able to serve ads that are relevant. So what we did, we took a, I hate to use such a you know, a trite expression like paradigm shift, but this is in a sense a paradigm shift. So sort this our new technology, smart optimization of responsive traits. What this does is it doesn't look at you as a data set, a historical data set. What it says is we are getting signals from what you, the user are doing in real time. Just because as Kim always says, I'm a mom, but doesn't mean I always are on the web as a mom. Sometimes I want to go on vacation. Sometimes I'm buying gifts for friends. Sometimes I'm treating my husband to something. So the idea of sort is that based on the signals that we are getting, and these are no, there are no PII. It's about what you're reading, what your mouse is doing, what device you're using, and a whole host of signals that we use. We're able to categorize on a completely private basis, what you're doing, and then put you into a group, which we know will respond, for example, to travel ads better. This is all done, lots of AI, of course, lots of algorithms, So, it, but it doesn't track anyone. And now you might say that's, that is certainly a change in the way there's no browser history being managed, no PII, no hashed email address that's needed. But does that work? And when we kicked off this project, I have to tell you, I was nervous about the elimination of cookies. And the, the charge to the team was find something that equals third-party cookies so our targeting doesn't disappear and the ability to deliver relevant ads. We were shocked at what we actually got back. We're getting minimally two, often three times the amount of engagement measured by all kinds of KPIs. And so, so this was astounding to us. And what it turns out is we may have, you know, let's say Edison always said the best inventions were what he kind of stumbled on. We didn't know we were going to get this sort of response, but it turns out treating people in real time, what, you know, because we know you're not one thing, your desires change, your needs change, your emotions change. And so the notion that sort actually changes with them is turning out to be a better targeting technique than the historical third party way. Our numbers now are getting to the point where we're actually rivaling first party data. Now, first party data is valuable. Obviously, there's no reason to serve me you know, ads for diapers, right? That would be a complete waste. And so, you know, third, so first party data, at least not yet, but first party data has great use. But the fact that we can rival first party data results using this approach is astonishing. And we think this is now going to be, first of all, the future, because we can now go back to the ad tech industry and say, you know, you don't have to get PII from people to get extraordinarily useful results to your advertising customers who obviously want to reach the right users. And to your point earlier, users actually look to be educated on things they want. Enjoy buying things is part of life. It's enjoyable. Just you don't like when you get things that are utterly irrelevant. That's annoying. I think we've found a, a new future in the way that ads are going to be developed and delivered. 
So what does that look like from a digital marketeer's perspective, or a lot of the folks that are listening are part of a larger digital team? What should they be doing in terms of adjusting their processes or their focus? Because this is a little bit of a shift from where we've been historically. So that's exactly what we're talking to marketers about every day. We're saying the time is now. Don't wait to the last minute to when cookies are officially off the table. Start testing solutions. Start seeing what else is out there. Everyone is so hung up on their tried and true methods, right? They've always used these XYZ behavioral segments, but they need to branch out. And it's a good thing to branch out. This is where the industry is going. And as Dan mentioned, it actually in the end will produce higher results than what they're used to. So right now we're in the test and see phase. We're trying to showcase to all of our advertisers the comparison between cookie list sort technology versus what they're used to. And everyone's leaning in. I will say that. I have conversations to advertisers every day. And they know that they need to they need to start adding these things in. They need to be ahead of the curve. You know, you don't want to be the last advertiser standing that never looked into cookie-less solutions. So they're certainly leaning in more now than ever as the time is getting closer and closer, but their eyes are open to it. I'm curious, Kim, what does that look like tactically? Because I'll tell you something really funny happened to me last week. I got an email. I'm not going to name and shame the company, but I got an email. And what really dawned on me is this company knows nothing about me. Right. I mean, if anything, they're starting to make me angry rather than meeting me where I am. And so you're talking about something that's a little bit more futuristic, forward leaning, a way to engage. And I'm wondering, do you have this really great Lamborghini ready for the industry? And yet marketeers are still driving a Honda or where are we at? And so is there a fundamental shift in how we're thinking and behaving on the marketing side that also needs to change and ramp up to take advantage of the solution and this way of working in a cookie list world? Absolutely. I mean, you said it perfectly. I think we use an analogy similar similar to that many times with a Honda versus a Lamborghini. We need to take that step forward. And as many advertisers that are leaning in, there are still the ones that are sticking with their old ways. And I think they're going to find out sooner rather than later that, that they're behind. And the ones that are behind are going to make those mistakes like they did with you. And they may very well lose you as a customer. And that's actually a big thing we're talking to advertisers about as well. Like you said, consumers are more aware than ever before what advertisers are doing. I'm aware that if a brand is following me online about the bag I didn't purchase and it creeps me out a bit, you're aware that they sent you an email every day with different coupon codes. Consumers are aware they're watching brands more than ever and they're favoring brands that are one, delivering relevant ads to them and two, protecting their privacy. Five years ago, maybe even three, two years ago, we didn't think about this as much, but it's very front and center to everyone today. So I think that brands need to catch on to that. And I'd like to add a practice that we have, we're observing around this. Retailers are, are doing what I'm about to describe. Some do it extraordinarily well, some do less. But what they're doing is they're using first party data. Obviously, they have endless loyalty card information. So they have some of the best data there is. They're doing something very smart. I don't know if you, people who remember their days and, and when they get the marketing 101, they used to say, uh, you know, what's, what are the three most important things in marketing? The answer was segment your market, segment your market, segment your market. What they're doing now is they're creating basically personas. So they're saying value people. And then they're saying at-home cooking with hyper expensive ingredient people. They're getting extremely smart about figuring out 
what offers should be given to what segment. So the notion of you getting three blind emails, that's bad practice. What they should have been doing is having you kind of in one of those segments, because not only does it confuse you, but it's bad in a couple of ways. If we give you a 10% discount and you need a 20%, you won't be motivated and that opportunity is lost. But something else is going on that's not a lot talked about. Sometimes they give people a 20% discount when 10% would have been more than enough. And that doesn't get talked about, as I said, very much, but it's literally, literally tens of billions of dollars of lost by overstimulating when they could have gotten by with less. And so what's happening is the use of first party data, creating personas and then advertising to those personas with specific selections of prices and items is going to be the future. So, and so that's a very special thing that retailers are waking up to. So, you know, that, and they'll do this in conjunction with obviously the manufacturers who decide on market development funds and who to focus on and what they're trying to do. This is, this is very much the future of retailing. That's interesting because it really, I think, puts a spotlight, Dan, back on knowing your consumer and really thinking about that consumer and stopping sort of that spray and pray mentality we've had for years, which is let's try for our best and keep our fingers crossed and see where it goes. And it does make me wonder, especially as we go to this consumer centric approach and the ability to do things like location targeting, right? So real time targeting, but also location targeting, which I think is something else that you've been thinking a lot about. So can you maybe tell us a little bit more about the possibilities of things like out of home media buying and how do we integrate sort of the online offline experience that's really surrounding the user in terms of leveraging billboards or transit shelters or buses and other types of advertising in context with online? Undertone, while we don't do all of those things, we are known for really standing by a holistic strategy, a marketing strategy. We think that there is not, you shouldn't just be on display or just video or just CTV. And all of those things need to be weaved together. The message that you're portraying on your video ad can't be completely missed on your billboard or out of home ad. You need to have that consistency weave throughout so that people can remember you, that you're standing out, that they know that they, wow, I just saw them when I was on the website I was just browsing, but wow, actually when I got off the bus, I saw that same message. And the more they're seeing that consistency weaved in together, the more they're going to like your brand, they're going to respect the message that you're putting out there and it's memorable. We, I, I tell you, Christina, I wish I could give you, I've been searching for it, you know, the holy grail of the equation, which says, you know, when do you hit someone with a display, a video, what device, mobile, billboard, outside? But we do know this. We know that different or ad formats affect people different ways. For example, one of the reasons that audio is rapidly growing, it's only about, it depends who you read, it could be five, six billion, but it seems to be growing 25 to 40% a year. And there's a reason for that. Audio affects people's brains differently than they receive messages when they see things. And so in the media mix, you must have a multimedia mix. And you should be, uh, when you're, and it also depends on what your brand objective is. So if you're building awareness, there's certain things you do. You're trying to drive a transaction in the moment. Certain formats work better um, at that moment. So you know, billboards, for example, if you're not looking to buy something right now, you probably just ignore the billboard. But if it's been on your mind and all of a sudden you see a billboard, you go, ah, oh, that's right. I got to do, I, I need to get that new car. 
And I just saw the advertisement. So we have been, and, and many others are trying to find that mix that says, what is your brand objective? Is it a new introduction? Is it a price cut? Is it you're reaching new markets? And what formula of devices and formats should you reach those people with? We know we have proof that the more varied the approach, the better you do. We know that, but we haven't been able to optimize that yet. And I'm waiting for you know, one of the business schools to come out and say, we've cracked the code. That would be just amazing. But uh, I, it, may be, it may be years until we see that, unfortunately. You brought a very interesting point up that I've been wondering about, which is, it seems to me that targeting consumers is just as important as understanding consumers and their sentiment once you do target them. So one of the things that's been fascinating to me is the CTV arena. And I take everything so personally. I take personally the Liberty Mutual ads that are just annoying me. If I have to see the ostrich ad one more time, I'm just not going to start screaming very loudly. It's really horrible. Like I will never, ever, ever, ever switch to Liberty Mutual just because of their advertising, which is fascinating because I used to be their customer. So they managed to not just frustrate me in the moment, but literally annoy me and isolate me as a potential consumer in the future in a really negative way. And yet I continue to see their ads, right? So it's just reinforcing a lot of this really extreme emotion. And it could just be me, but I'm wondering if there's others out there that are like me. And so how do you tell organizations like, hey, it's important to target people, but it's also important to understand the sentiment of the people that you're targeting and start to really dive into what does that mean to the brand in the moment and also in the future? We work with a company called System One Research. And what we have found is create, creative drives something like 70%. This has been David Poltrack back in his day, actually confirmed this for television. There's no reason it differs outside of anything other than, you know, the other formats in television. Creative really matters. So what we do with System One Research is we rate uh, all commercials uh, and there's a variety of things, but we'll, you know, I'll, I'll try to, and it's a long theory, I'll try to reduce it quickly. But what it says is this, if you surprise and delight people through the use of creative, you get a higher share of voice. So people will talk about your commercial just the way you just did, by the way. And high share of voice leads to high share of market. So what we do, we offer all of our advertisers the ability to run a system one research study, which rates them generally from one star to five stars amongst a number of criteria. There is no doubt when you produce extraordinarily good advertisements, you get more share of voice and you get more share of market. If you're low, the result could be what you've just described is that you say, look, I, you know, I'm not interested in this product. It's not surprising me. It's not delighting me. So that you've touched on a very, very important point, which is why um, Undertone actually has its own creative capability. We're one of the few companies that has that. We have a staff that does creative and we work closely with System One Research to make sure that what we send out there, and of course the client drives this, it's up to them, but we've had clients where we've said, look, I, we don't like what you're doing here and we'll show them the results of a System One study before we go into flight. And they'll say, please change it. And then we do it and they say, oh, thank you for doing that. It's an extraordinary, we must never forget it, but when it comes to ads, it's not just the targeting and the distribution and the timing. Creative matters. It really does. Yeah, I was just going to hit on the last point you said. Um, creative above all else, right? You could hit the right person perfectly. I could be the perfect, perfect target for your business. 
But if you come at me with a message that is insulting in some way, aggravates me in some way, you could lose me as a customer or potential customer. So we put definitely creative first in our company, especially obviously with the studies Dan just mentioned, it's all about the emotion that we can drive through that creative and then bring it to the right people. But creative is first and foremost. Looking at MarTech and ad tech intersections in so many different areas, some marketing industry professionals consider ad tech to be a subset of MarTech. Would be curious to hear what you say. But since there's 7,000 products as part of the marketing technology landscape, how do we start to make sense of all of that? Also curious, when we talk about it from a Perian perspective, where do you fit into that? Firstly, MarTech and ad tech are actually blurring. For me, it's becoming increasingly hard to separate what you traditionally consider marketing and delivering of advertising, because when you start looking at data and insights and, and making decisions about what creative to serve to who and when, what time of the day, you know, what machine they're using, that to me feels like you're almost talking about the same thing. So first, I, w- I would say that. Secondly, uh, on uh, to address Perion uh, more broadly, Perion uh, has, we like to say, we serve the chief digital officer with whatever product that chief digital officer needs at the time. So we have a very large search business. And then there's the advertising side of the business where we maintain a demand side, which is what Undertone does. And then we have a supply side. We, we are able to aggregate demand and we have a hub that we in between that decides where to send impressions to maximize, you know, effectiveness for users, for advertisers. And frankly, it, it helps us with margin because it allows us to find an O&O capability, which saves us a little bit of money. We are trying to actually master this entire MarTech, AdTech merge so we can be the preferred choice for a chief digital officer. So that's really helpful. I'm curious, as we really prepare for that privacy first world and thinking about the technology space and the companies that are out there, what is the one piece of advice that each of you would actually give to teams right now? What is the thing of like, go do this today? Definitely the time is now. Uh, Don't wait. I said this earlier in our conversation The there's no time to wait. You need to be at the forefront of this. You want to be a leader in the space. Then the time is now to start testing new technologies because it's going to be too late pretty soon. My advice isn't very different. I think privacy is becoming more and more important. I can tell you this, Christina, we are actually having a lobbyist firm that we work with. They have deep Washington, D.C. contacts. In fact, we've had the privilege to be meeting with staff of senators and members of the House of Representatives to talk about privacy and try to get a sense what's on their mind, where are things going. We have no trouble getting meetings. So in fact, I can tell you definitively, Congress has an ear towards privacy. How this will manifest itself in terms of regulation, that I don't know the mind of Congress yet to be able to, and who knows in November, there could be changes. It'll be very hard to say where this is all going to go. But I will tell you, on both sides of the aisle, there is extraordinary interest in privacy. If I had to take out, a, if forced to take out a crystal ball right now, I will tell you that there is going to be, certainly the federal government's going to say, listen, we're going to start to advertise our own uh, broad advertising spend against uh, privacy vehicles so we respect our voters. Um, now, that's not political advertising for candidates. They rely on, I'm very clear on that. They rely on very, very personal data to solicit donations. That's a different 
can of worms, talking about advocacy, things like that, they will spend their money on privacy-based solutions. So that's going to drive the market because the federal and state governments spend a lot of money. So this is going to end up dragging people in. The only question in my mind is, when is that going to happen? So there is going to be a shift. People are going to have to do this. So to Kim's point, you know, if you wait, then you're a follower. Why not right now as a brand, tell your users, your customers, we respect you. And we want to reach you without appearing to be creepy. And so why not use it as a brand opportunity to enhance your own brand and say, we care about you. Not only do we need to provide goods and services that enhance your life, but we're also going to carry that mission into the way we respect your privacy and see the alignment between the two. It seems to me that's only good for brands. It would help them with their ESG initiatives. Remember now, everyone on the, their stocks are being rated. When you go on Yahoo, there's a rating for ESG. That S part, the social part, privacy plays a role. And so I would urge brands, take this seriously. It's going to happen the sooner you do it, the more you'll learn about it and be better prepared. If you wait to the last minute, you lose an opportunity to tell your customers how you care about them and respect them the way you reach them online. And then you'll be struggling the last minute to catch up. That's, I hate catching up. I always like to be ahead of things. I love that, Dan. And I really appreciate that you brought out a very important aspect that we're always focused on here, which is how do you build trust? How do you build loyalty? Because at the end of the day, that's how brands win. And what we're really talking about here is a way to win in an inevitable way, because we are moving to a world where privacy does matter. People are willing to share data, but not in the creepy ways. And the sooner we can get to the point where we're meeting consumers where they are and where they want us to be, the sooner we win. Excellent. Really appreciate your insights. Thanks for your time today, Dan and Kim, both. Looking forward to hearing more from you and certainly seeing how this plays out in the marketplace, but no doubt it's going to change and shift and lead the way. Thank you. Good. Uh, and appreciate the interview. You, had, you made me think a lot, which I always appreciate. Thanks so much, Christina. Thank you for joining The Power of Digital Policy. To sign up for our newsletter, get access to policy checklists, detailed information on policies, and other helpful resources, head over to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. If you get a moment, please leave a review on iTunes to help your digital colleagues find out about the podcast.